Damon Clarson was a guest just over a year ago. He acquired an insulation wholesale business. Well, late last year, Damon decided to take a job, returning to traditional W-2 employment. Part of this decision was driven by his sales tanking in Q3 of last year as the real estate market stalled out. Damon needed income to ensure he could continue servicing his SBA loan. Pretty scary. But part of it was also what Damon had learned about himself. Sales actually came back in Q4 and came back strong. So his business is healthy enough now that he could redevote himself to it full-time and leave the W-2. But over the course of 2022, Damon realized that he just didn't enjoy the lifestyle of the business that he'd acquired. He missed structure. He didn't like working from home all day. He was driving his wife crazy. (laughs) So what's so interesting here is that Damon spent a lot of 2022 improving the business that he'd acquired and doing so successfully. You'll learn the many levers that he pulled. But he still ultimately decided that it wasn't for him, a decision I think you'll agree is both courageous and self-aware. And I think this is one of the hazards of buying a business that hasn't been covered enough, including by this podcast. Put aside the fundamentals and financials of the business for a second. You also have to like it. Because imagine you buy a business, have a personal guarantee for a million, three million dollars, And realize on day 120 of the transition, I really don't like doing this. You can't just walk away at that point. So not liking it, not liking the day-to-day is also a big risk. Fortunately for Damon, he's got his business essentially on autopilot. But I'm sure there are others out there not so lucky or competent. There's a lot to learn from this follow-up with Damon Clarson, owner of Pacific Insulation Supply. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. I want to share an update on the Acquisition Lab. As you know, the lab is a highly vetted, cohort-based accelerator and community for people serious about buying a business. After going through the lab's month-long intensive, you have ongoing access to almost daily Q&A sessions with advisors, regular live deal reviews with Walker Deibel, author of Buy Then Build, potential deal team introductions, and a very active Slack group with other searchers on the path. Well, the update is that the lab recently passed 60 businesses acquired and for well over $100 million in aggregate transaction value. Also, all members now enjoy lifetime access to the lab. Because when you buy a business, it's often just the first of many, and the lab wants to support you in every deal, not just your first. Lastly, check out my recent interview with Shane Ursum, episode 105. Shane acquired a business with over a million dollars in EBITDA in just six months, And he attributes a lot of his deal success to what he learned in the lab. Check out acquisitionlab.com or email the lab's director, Chelsea Wood, chelsea at buythenbuild.com. Damon Clarson, welcome back to Acquiring Minds. Thanks, Will. Glad to be here. Damon, we spoke a little over a year ago. You'd been looking for a business that was B2B, that could be run remotely, and a lot of opportunity for scale. And you found one that fit the bill in Pacific Insulation Supply, which is an online wholesaler of insulation. 
So it looked pretty optimistic when we spoke in, it was December, 2021, um, but last year, 2022 did get rocky at times. So uh, I think it'll be really good for the audience to hear um, a story that isn't all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. Before we dive into it, Damon, give us a quick refresher for those who didn't hear episode one on the search, why you chose this path, and then on the business you bought specifically. Um, yeah, so I had kind of been wanting to buy a business for many years. Um, most people that I know are uh, business owners growing up, so it just kind of fit what I wanted to do. <clears throat> so I had been reaching out and looking at tons of deals, probably looked at 40 or 50, working with brokers, and I never actually did my own proprietary search because I didn't really know that search was really a thing. And uh, I think if I had known, I would have done things a lot differently. But um, luckily, through a broker relationship, this business kind of fell into my lap. And uh, yeah, it, it was a good fit. It was B2B. It was something that you could do remotely, as well as uh, uh, very low uh, CapEx. So, you know, we only sell insulation through other uh, warehouses. So national suppliers and stuff that you kind of have to have an account to use. And so because of that, I'm mostly just a paper pusher. I advertise, I get an order, and then I push that paper to the supplier who then fulfills it. So um, it ended up being a really good fit in that regard. But yeah, you're right. There's definitely some rocky moments in 2022. Okay. Well, um, let, I guess let's start by hearing um, how reality met with your expectations. So these criteria that we keep talking about, um, low cap, like low, carrying no inventory, essentially, um, uh, basically just kind of very low overhead business, um, scalability, possibility, potential for scale. Were those all things that ended up being accurate in your assessment or less so? Yeah, I would say they're accurate. Um, I, I definitely underestimated how difficult it is to scale a business. Um, I think what I kind of envisioned was, um, you know, here are different product lines I could sell. All right, you're buying insulation. Let's sell drywall. I thought that would be a lot easier than it was. Um, I also thought like, oh, I'll just throw more money or I'll grow in another region that we're not really big in. Uh, and it's just not that simple to do. Um, it took a lot of work to figure out exactly where to hone in the strategy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd say now, um, knowing what I know, I could have saved myself a lot of advertising dollars. And so that is something that we touched on a lot in your in your first interview, which was like you noticed, and you were basically a month and a half into into owning the business when we talked, and you'd noticed that a lot of your customers were roofers, and so it, you know why not sell additional supplies to this roofing cohort um, that like roofer like roofing specific supplies stuff that roofers would need. Um, why did that end up not being as easy as kind of flipping a switch to an existing customer base? Um, the difficult thing about that is, uh, a lot of them had, uh, roofing suppliers. Um, we are actually still selling roofing insulation. I haven't advertised it as much. It's usually just kind of on a as needed basis for recurring customers. Um, so the plan is to really grow in that. Cause I, I do believe that we can grow there because we have existing supplier relationships. Um, what we did try to do was drywall. Mm -hmm. Um, I ran this experiment for three to four months and we never got a single drywall order. Uh, because of some of the difficulties to starting a new account with these big suppliers, um, I had no volume discounts, right? So with insulation, I'm doing, you know, millions of dollars worth of insulation sales with these different suppliers. Um, and so they give me pretty good discounts, which helps me close the gap between some of the big box stores that people might mm -hmm. be going to. 
Because like I mentioned, my customer is the contractor who has, you know, two to three crews, maybe even less. And so he's picking up stuff at Home Depot with a contractor's discount. And then we kind of swoop in and steer him our way. And we're a lot easier to work with. So uh, selling drywall to them was difficult starting from scratch because we couldn't, we couldn't really compete price-wise. And so I abandoned that um, mid-December, decided that wasn't the route we were going to go. But what we were going to do was double down on insulation. We're going to sell more insulation um, nationwide. Uh, but most importantly, we're going to really spend our advertising money in the states that we know we can succeed in, which are California, Colorado, and Texas, and Washington. Um, one challenge actually that came up right after our interview was one of my suppliers in Washington state dropped us. And so now I had only one person, one company that could fulfill orders there and they had very tight supply. And so Washington was a big state for us and that completely withered up for about seven months. And then the summer came. Because, because your supply was cut off, not because demand wasn't there. So you just couldn't yeah. service orders. Yep, couldn't service any orders. And so what I did, I uh, waited seven months. Um, there was a kind of a slowdown in building as interest rates came to a head. And I reached back out to a supplier and they were like, we'd be more than happy to take your orders again. And uh, we're <laughs> plumbing away nicely with them now. So, Okay. Well, um, Damon, I got us into the weeds really quickly there, but let's step back out and give people a big picture of the last year. Start us with what was the size of the business? What was Pacific Insulation doing revenue-wise and cash flow-wise when you yeah. bought it? And then kind of give us just like two sentences on what's happened over the course of this year. Absolutely. So um, I bought it mostly off of 2018 and 2020 revenue, which was anywhere between 1.8 and 2.2 million dollars, and a net of around 350 to 400 thousand. Uh, 2021, mm -hmm. there was a huge boom because of building and whatever else, and a huge customer uh, that made it uh, three and a half, 3.3 million dollar business in terms of sales, uh, and the net on that was just a shade below 600 thousand. So I bought it for 1.1 million, about 3x of normal revenue and about 2x of that uh, boosted revenue. So um, we and that boosted that. revenue, that was from one really big customer that even the seller at the time told you like, enjoy this while you got it. But I'm not, I'm, I recognize that this could dry up at any moment. So I'm not even going to include it in, in the cash flow that we base the multiple on. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And so he was, was very good. upfront about that. So that was good. Uh, there were more difficulties that came up with that specific customer. Um, which we can definitely dive into. It'll be interesting. Uh, okay. I learned a lot about transitioning a business, I would say, this for six months, but that's kind of the overview. And then ever since then, we kind of had a huge quarter one. And then Q2, uh, what we noticed was interest rates started to rise, gas prices, fuel prices went up. So our delivery costs went up, material costs went up. And we had a very, very dry June through um, September, which is usually the months that we sell the most. Uh, during that time, I got really spooked and decided I wanted to go back to work so that I could put all the cash in the business and to pay for the loan. I did it. I got an SBA loan on it at about 85% LTV. So um, wanted to make sure I could keep making that payment. And so I went back to work uh, in went software. Went back to work, meaning got a job, got a W-2. Got a W-2, yeah. And uh, what I found was I actually uh, managed the business more effectively um, doing that because I had more structure in my day. So uh, that's kind of the year at a, at a glance. Uh, Q4, we had a really good Q4. Things started to pick up again. And um, right now, business is actually booming, uh, like pre-interest <laughs> rate um, stuff. So I'm very happy. Wow. Okay. And so 
all like taking into account a very dry Q3 and then a booming Q4 and I guess a, a strong Q1 and Q2. When you blend all that together, how did 2022 come out overall? Yeah, so we did still manage to pull in about 1.7 million in sales. Um, I would say we're still kind of adjusting everything, but uh, anywhere between 250 to 275k in uh, net. So that okay. helps cover the loan, helped cover my living expenses. We did we did okay in that regard. Um, uh, there were a lot of random little costs that came up, uh, and a lot of advertising dollars that I threw down the toilet. So, um, that number could be much bigger. I think if I had been smarter, which it will be much bigger this year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, well, and then just again, before we um, dive back into the weeds, how do you feel just, you know, yeah, answer this, how very open-ended, how do you feel about this path that you've chosen of buying a business given the good, the bad, and the ugly? Um, I regret it every day and I'm grateful for it every day. Um, I, it's, it's, it's the most hot and cold thing I've ever experienced. There are moments where I think, man, I have mortgaged my kid's future for owning a business and all of the stress. And then there are moments where I'm like, look at all those QuickBooks payments coming in. This is amazing. And so, um, kind of my overarching lesson on this is it's never going to be what you think, uh, but that's not necessarily a reason to not dive in. I would say it's definitely brought myself, um, brought into, um, a little more peace with, uh, work in general, mm -hmm. uh, is help, help me come to peace with uh, a W2. And I'm, I'm very happy working a W2, um, in a different way that I hadn't been before. Yeah, because you had been a little bit itchy uh, at your W2s before. And so now going back to a W2, having experienced the travails of being a business owner, you feel like you 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 value a W2 in a way that you didn't before. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I got to the point where uh, I realized that structure and the camaraderie you kind of get with a team is really mm -hmm. important. I work for a, a very small startup that's, that's growing and... Um, that's been really valuable to me. Um, but also, yeah, it's that, that itchiness is gone. There's like an extra clarity for work. And also, it's a little bit different when you want to be there versus have to be there. So uh, I, you know, I could focus all my time on this business. I could try to acquire more businesses. Um, through this, I've, I've had a lot of really good conversations with investors and private equity groups who want to roll up um, uh, insulation businesses. So, uh, in that regard, there's other options, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. And so it's, it's brought me a lot of peace. And so do you, are you thinking two and five years out, if you can get Pacific insulation supplied to a certain SDE, then you'll stop the W2 and go back to it full time or not, not necessarily. And you're going to continue having it kind of as a side thing uh, indefinitely, no matter how much it grows. I think it's going to be a side thing for me indefinitely. Um, so I don't know necessarily where my career is going to bring me, but I'm, I'm pretty happy where I'm at. Um, and so I kind of think what I'm going to do is uh, keep it on the side, potentially sell it in three to five years, and then use that money to maybe do something a little more passive. Um, this is fairly passive, but something very passive, uh, maybe more like in the real estate realm and just investing and not necessarily doing deals. Mm -hmm. Okay. And... Yeah, let's talk about how passive you've you've managed to make it. So, how many hours a week are you devoting to it? And yeah, first answer that, please. Uh, less than five. Less than five. Wow. And when you acquired it, would that have been possible, or have you been putting systems in pay place? You know, in preparation for 
for your W going back to your W2? It would not have been possible, um, partly because of the lead flow, but also partly because the prior owner didn't really necessarily trust the salespeople to sell to the level he could. And mm -hmm. there's some truth to that, but I've tested them and they've done really well. The other thing that kind of was a challenge was just the way that the quoting system was in place and the way that we were invoicing made doing an order really arduous. And I simplified that by uploading all of our products into QuickBooks. You could quote and get payments out of the same system. And so it might sound dumb, but when you're working on four or five orders in a day, um, that's easier to do when you're, you know, building the invoice in a minute and a half, as opposed to five minutes and then following up and stuff. So, um, yeah, I got to the point now where, uh, about five hours a week, uh, those systems are in place. I have somebody who manages certain leads, who manages certain phone calls, uh, coming from different lead sources. And I silo them out so I can see what's working, what's not working. Whereas before there was no silo, it was all just coming to one main line. And uh, um, kind of putting those systems in place has shown me, you know, where the money's being well spent, where it's not, who's performing, who's not, what do they need. And so um, I can look at that information really easily. I just keep our dialer up in an open window and I just kind of watch it throughout the day. So if there's a lead that comes in that's not being touched, um, I see it. Uh, I get a little notification and I just send it to the salesperson to to close out. So um, the first real test of this system was in June. Um, I was going on a five-day camping trip to Zions National Park and uh, had to put my faith in my salespeople and uh, they did good. So August Felker is a two-time successful searcher. First with a traditional search fund. The second time around, he did a self-funded search. Today, August runs Oberly Risk Strategies, an insurance firm with a dedicated practice group for searchers and acquisition entrepreneurs like you. If you've got a business under LOI, Oberly will provide complimentary due diligence on that business's insurance and benefits program. A great no-risk way to get to know August and team. They love helping searchers. They've worked with hundreds. Oberly is a specialty insurance brokerage for searchers by a former searcher. Check out Oberly-Risk.com, O-B-E-R-L-E hyphen risk.com, link in the show notes. And your salespeople are all in the Philippines? Yep, everybody's in the Philippines. I, I toyed with bringing that uh, into the U.S., but ultimately just decided to keep them there and um, don't have any regrets about that decision. Uh, one of the things that I had seen you say in a Twitter thread at some point this year was um, the importance of, you know, ramping up your team on sales, which it sounds like you ultimately did and did really well. And so, and also just tying into um, the question about outsourcing to the Philippines, sales is not a function that I'm super familiar with people doing that because sales is so kind of nuanced and cultural. Um, and it sounds like your seller maybe felt the same way or he, he didn't have the confidence in that his salespeople could sell as well as him. I don't know if it's because they were in the Philippines or what, but just address that, like that um, folks in the Philippines are able to, you're, you were able to train them on selling effectively. Um, yeah, their communication skills are excellent. And so that makes the first barrier, um, easier to clear. Yep. Uh, really what I implemented with them was just steps. Here's what you do. You get an order. Here are the steps you take, right? You give them a price and you kind of negotiate off that price and then closing. They had never really done closing before. They would just kind of send a price and if they wanted it, they'd send the invoice. 
but I kind of taught them how to close, um, how to add a little bit of urgency. Hey, we're running low on this material. If you want it, I probably need to get the order in this day. Or if you need this material by Thursday, we need that payment in by this day. Um, so then kind of using those two things together, how to close, how to follow up, um, how to build urgency has helped them be a little bit more efficient. And so I'm less worried about them just setting out invoices and them just sitting there and nobody pays them. So that's phenomenal. And, you know, Damon, I'm really struck because even though you had a really hard Q3, it drove you back to getting a W2. You, it sounds like you now have this incredibly well-oiled machine. You went through the crucible of year one and had a really hard quarter. And yet here you are now working five hours a week on the business and it's generating, you know, two, three, maybe 400,000 in SDE this year. And yet you don't want to devote your full energy to it. It So I guess I just want to like distill all of what we've been talking about. It sounds like you just um, didn't like the lifestyle as much. So even though you've you've kind of you've you, you were successful at it despite a very hard quarter Q3, you just don't like it as much as other other ways to spend your career. Yeah, I um, I think if I had bought a business that had a lot more customer facing like in person contact with employees and um, customers or whomever, uh, it would be a lot easier for me to do. But I realized working from home, just from home, I was driving my my wife absolutely insane. <laughs> I was very idle. Um, I found that I did way less. I got less done because I had nothing to do. And so, um, yeah, I just realized this is a kind of a better lifestyle for everybody. Yeah. Kind of going back to the traditional, like, I'm at work, I come home, I'm at home. And uh, it's been uh, really beneficial for our family, for me personally, my own mental health. Um, and so, yeah, the lifestyle, I don't really love the solopreneur lifestyle like I thought I would. Yeah. Um, but kind of going back to your question about not devoting the full time, I realized pretty early on growing this thing to 5 million, which was what my plan was, I figured 5 million would probably get us to around a million in um, SDE. Yep. I realized that was going to be way more difficult than I realized. And I kind of sat back and thought to myself, what's more valuable to me? Devoting all my energy to this business, try to get it to 5 million. When some parts of it I don't know are scalable to that point anyway, or build a well-oiled machine that does between two to two and a half million a year, maybe three to 400,000 in SDE, but you don't ever have to work on it. And I thought that is probably more valuable to me personally. And when I go to sell, I might have a wider range of audiences who are interested because the price point will be lower, mm -hmm. but it'll be a home run for whoever takes it over. So that's kind of the system I'm building. And I do think we can grow to three to four million. Um, and that's, that's kind of the next phase after we get out of what I consider this, uh, pre-recession time. Uh, one of the things that you'd mentioned in, in Twitter over the course of the year is like, if you were to do it again, buy a business again, one of the things that you wouldn't want to buy is a business that only differentiates on price, which I assume is what, is what you're doing with, what yeah. you have to do with Pacific Insulation Supply. Elaborate on that. Like how, how have you found that and, um, what, what would you do to grow now if it sounds like it's really just a commoditized kind of good that you're selling? How do you grow another million or two in sales? Yeah, um, there's it's not very sticky if you're just working on price. It's not very sticky. You're going to get a lot of people who are interested but aren't going to buy because they found a better price elsewhere. And we run into that all the time in certain regions. Um, but the way I plan on growing now is we are doing an, uh, an extra emphasis on 
um, recurring business. So we're giving a little more favorable paying term payment terms to some of our recurring clients. And um, I spiff my salespeople on orders that are recurring. So those are our lowest hanging fruit, in my opinion, is this book of 5,000 contractors who have bought insulation from us before. Mm-hmm. Um, and additionally, I, I'm, I'm still in the early phases of doing this, but I am going to be hiring a cold caller who will uh, be a, a, a kind of responsible for lead generation uh, by making contact with as many contractors in um, our big states as possible. So uh, that's the plan to grow another million or so. I think it's there for the picking. Um, I recently installed the live chat, which has increased our conversion. We've done 25,000 in sales on it in the last six days. So uh, that is very um, promising. And you think those are sales that you might have otherwise lost? Uh, Potentially, yeah, potentially. Um, I think sometimes, I mean, yeah, it's hard to tell, but uh, the volume on the other you know, on the actual web business is not changing. And that is a new, a new thing. So um, hard to say, but I feel really good about that in terms of improving our conversion. And so the way the, the kind of flow for uh, one of your customers is they just search for insulation in Google and click your ad and then are basically taken through a, uh, an order funnel. So it's, yeah. you're, you're basically kind of, it, it's kind of an e-commerce, a one-off e-commerce flow. Yeah. Yeah, we call it manual e-commerce. That's <laughs> kind of how I look at it. So it's not as uh, as easy. And so we are in the middle of a website redesign. So that form to get your quote will be a lot faster. Um, but yeah, the other thing that we're really looking for is people to just call us. So there's a bunch of call us places. You click a link, it sends us a text, all that stuff. So that's another really good way. Um, so I have a specific number that's just from the website. And then we run ads on various different um, like classifieds listings, which we make a lot of money from. Um, but I have a specific number just for that website that it goes to. And so then <clears throat> at the end of the week, I look and see how many web leads we got versus how many clicks we got, how much money we put in and try to determine, um, our return on ad spend that way. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, Damon, in our, in our first conversation, you had talked about your, um, history with, you have mild bipolar, uh, my mm-hmm. mild bipolar situation. How did you handle that given the, the roller coaster that was this past year? Did it affect things or do you, do you have it under control or what? Oh man, no, it was an absolute roller coaster. Um, but uh, here's kind of the, what, what happened. So I ended up doing, um, love, to, love to do a plug for some alternative medicine here, but. Okay, go for it. I have, I have tried lots of medications um, and I ended up doing transcranial magnetic stimulation therapy, which uh, is essentially using a magnet to awake a certain part of the brain and form a new neural pathway. So when you have anxiety or depression, which um, my symptoms kind of swing between those two things, um, depending on the mood and, and what triggers there are. And so when you have anxiety or depression, your brain has a response that it runs through that neural pathway, even if it's not necessarily a chemical thing you're dealing with. So um, I did transcranial magnet TMS is what it's called. We'll call it TMS. Okay. TMS. Uh, I did TMS for uh, seven weeks. Every single day I went, they zapped my brain with a magnet for 20 minutes straight. And uh, it essentially cured any depressive symptoms that I had ever experienced. I haven't had any um, depression since then. Uh, I still have had highs and lows. And those kind of swing more between like being really happy to being very anxious. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, this, because of the business and the anxiety that kind of came from it, 
it got me to do talk therapy for the first time consistently. Mm -hmm. And that's been very beneficial to work on my self-talk. And um, it helped me kind of realize how important uh, taking care of my mental health is in terms of being successful professionally. So it's been ups and downs for sure. But I would say the last three to four months, especially have been very smooth. And so a little plug, if you have tried a lot of different medications for depression or anxiety or OCD or PTSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, TMS is uh, is a great option if you can get your insurance to pay for it. So um, I'm a big fan. Great. I, I wasn't I wasn't familiar with it. And then when you say talk therapy, you mean kind of traditional uh, talking to a therapist? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Talking to a therapist, um, looking at the things in my mind that are self-defeating mm-hmm. uh, and we're kind of blocking the path for me effectively running my life and business. So um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I want to be as big of a mental health advocate as I possibly can in this little corner of the, uh, SMB world. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, I, I mean, just looking at it as an outsider objectively, I mean, you have a, a lot to be proud of, man. I mean, you, you bought a business and now you're working on it, uh, five hours a week. You put in all these systems, you've made all these improvements. You, you suffered through, but survived a extremely dry quarter um, and you've got the business so smoothly running that you're only giving it five hours a week while you have an entire W-2. I mean, from where I'm sitting, it's not that it's not the path that maybe you were inspired by when you set, when you set out to buy a business. Um, and it's not the traditional one that one who buys a business goes down, but it seems very successful. And it seems like exactly what you want because you could quit that W-2 and go back to, to running your business. Uh, and you just choose not to simply because it's at your discretion and you're happy with where you're at. So you, you, you wanted a lot of optionality and you, and you have it in spades. Yeah. Yeah. It's really nice. And like I said, you know, wanting to be at work and knowing that you're there choosing to be there, um, and, and to work with the team makes a big difference for me. Um, not feeling like I have to be there. Um, my, my mentality is different. And then um, another thing that's going on in our life, my wife is uh, becoming an, elect- an electrologist. Mm-hmm. So um, kind of like laser hair removal, but with electricity and with thermal heat. Mm-hmm. Um, she'll, she's starting a program and should be finished up uh, by the end of the summer. And so um, my job now is to provide some stability, uh, which SMB doesn't really allow for. So I'm going to be providing the stability and kind of be a cheerleader while she gets that off the ground. So um yeah, that's the that's the plan. We're still going to be in small business, I guess, as a family. Um, but I'm excited for my wife to get her her turn to uh, see what she can do. And for anybody, any searcher who's listening, might they reach out to you to buy your business? Are you in a position where you'd sell the business today, or you want do want to hold on to it and get to three or four million, and maybe in five years? Um, I would say right now I'm not in the market to sell. Um, I thought I've thought about it. I even had conversations with a couple of people who wanted to buy it who had lost out on it the year before. Oh, um, but uh, I decided ultimately it was a down year. I think this is going to be a good year, and I think we can get it to a higher multiple and a, I guess higher SDE to get a better multiple and potentially um, more money left over. And so whatever I can walk away with would be a great cash on cash return. If I can sell it, if I can sell it for even what I bought it for in five years, that would be a good cash on cash return to walk away with. But, um, ultimately, uh, I think, I think the, uh, the time is not now to sell. Okay. Okay. Just a couple more questions for you uh, before we close out here, Damon, the, um, it is tied to construction, essentially, like a, a business like this is very tied to construction. So it goes as the real estate development construction goes. Absolutely. And home renovations. So 
Um, that's why you saw, I mean, everybody was renovating in 2020 and yeah. 2021. So uh, there was a huge boom. And then, uh, you know, because people got really scared about construction as those interest rates began hiking. Yep. And we saw a lot of projects pushed, a lot of projects canceled, lead volume dipped by about 70%. And now that's kind of peaking its way back up to pre-2021 levels. Um, uh, 2021 was insane. They were getting 150 to 200 leads a day. Wow. Uh, now we're getting... Yeah, right now we're getting a more manageable 60 to 70 per day. Uh, for a while, it was 20 to 30. So um, 60 to 70 is great. Uh, they're also all strike zone because we're really drilled down on who we're trying to sell to. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'm very optimistic about this coming year, even though most people probably aren't in the economy. Um, we've seen that construction is beginning to happen again as you know the fed has kind of leveled out at this it's a higher rate but at least it's predictable yeah yeah and any thoughts damon on like the nature of the business so you said at the top that you kind of are a paper pusher like you take an order uh in one hand and then pass it through to you know give it to to your supplier so essentially i think a lot of distribution businesses are like that but with varying complexity and, and probably a lot of distributors also do carry inventory, which you don't. But the nature of that business, any any comments on it? We already know that as a solopreneur, you don't like that aspect of it. But any other thoughts on it? Um, yeah, it's a, if you can find a good vertical to sell to, I think it's a good deal. Um, insulation is our little niche. There's not a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm going to start dropshipping insulation today. But um, essentially, you're kind of knowing what you are, right? So I... I thought we were an insulation business for a long time. And finally, I realized we're not. We're an advertising company. Mm -hmm. um, that's all we do. Yeah, we run ads and we get orders that way. Um, and so I think knowing what you are, knowing what the business is as you're buying it. So, okay, you're a dropshipping company. Um, try and figure out what that really means. Yeah. So um, are you an Amazon business? Are you not? Do you have a brand? Do you not? Uh, for us, luckily, we have really good SEO. And so we have that to, to lay back on. So um yeah, know what you are and then kind of drill down on it. So, I mean, I thought about acquiring an installation contractor for a little bit. There are a couple that wanted me to do them, their franchises. But then I realized we're not an installation business. We're a wholesaler. It would make more sense for me to, to, to buy a wholesaling business than it would for me to buy a construction business. I would fit in with our systems better. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of all I have to say, speak about that. And then back to your team in the Philippines, having ha having a whole team outsourced there, including people that are doing sales for you. Any um, advice or thoughts about working with a team in the Philippines that you've learned? Uh, treat them well, and they'll like love you forever. Um, I give them a stipend for tech. Um, I give them a stipend for health insurance. I give them uh, sick days, time off, things that weren't in place when I got there. And these are the most loyal people ever. Um, they, they love working for me, or at least they're very good liars. <laughs> and uh, I, I love having them. So um, I, I run- Did you hire any of them or did they all come with the business? I did hire one and then we had to let them go and leads slowed down. Uh, but I told him that, you know, if leads mm -hmm. come pick back up, I'd be more than happy to bring him back. And I actually helped him get on with another um, business that was needing a cold caller. So um, yeah, maybe bring him back to these cold calling. We'll see if he's interested in that. But um, yeah, that's the, uh, that's- that's my advice. Just treat them really well. Um, yes, they are a fraction of the cost of a U.S. employee, but their life is not a fraction worth less, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's well put. Yeah. Important. That's a great point. 
Damon, anything I haven't asked you that you want to communicate to the audience? Um, yeah, it's not all roses to buy a business, um, but it affords you some growth in some ways that you never would imagine you would grow. But also what's really important is to have that connection. I use Twitter to do it, but to connect with other people who own businesses and buy businesses, it's it's extremely valuable. Um, I have some long-term goals that are kind of tied to having that connection and, and knowing the right people. So uh, I would say use it as a business to make money, but also use it as a way to build your own brand as much as I hate saying that. Mm. Okay. Great. Well, Damon, can people reach out to you on Twitter? Is that still the best way? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Damon underscore SMB. Um, that's probably the best way to get me. I try to, I try to be pretty active on there and then, um, yeah, just reach out if you have questions or want to talk deals. I always love talking deals. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot for coming back on, Damon. Yeah. Thanks, Will. <laughs>